0: Log Talk Radio.
1: This is Batman 1D. And you, like any good citizen, are listening to the Retro Cool Nerd Powcast. Quick, not one moment
0: to lose. Turn up your dial. Meanwhile, just outside of Gotham City... Testing.
2: Back computer online. And processing.
1: Affirmative.
0: Audio tape to speed. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to podcast. Transmitting. Greetings. Citizens of Gotham, and welcome back to the Retro Cool Nerd powcast a retro look at all things cool and a little nerdy, mostly through the lens of the 1966 Batman TV show. I am the Retro Cool Nerd, Jimmy the Gent, broadcasting from my secluded study located deep inside the walls of Stately Wayne Manor. Just in case you follow me over from the Saturday Morning Serial Podcast, thanks for checking out what else we have to offer. I think you're going to dig the Powcast. Today's show might seem a little longer than normal, but it's only because I enjoy chatting with somebody, especially when they're a passionate about something. And in this case, it happens to be Batman. Uh, it was hard to chop down this in-depth chat with Ben Bentley, Bat photographer, moderator of the Batman 66 message board, but he's so much more, as you'll soon discover. We're going to find out why Batman slash Adam West has been such a defining thread and jumping off point for most of Ben's life from meeting and befriending members of the cast, including Adam, uh, up to his current endeavor, which is discovering shooting locations. We're going to learn so much more about this guy from the other side of the pond. But first, let's dig into the emails. We got a letter from a listener, Benjo Piscatelli, in Detroit, Michigan. Thanks for reaching out, Benjo. I'm glad you're listening. It's uh, one of the few in the proud. Yeah, I agree with you. Benjo says here that he thinks that the Gotham... TV show Riddler has played him more, uh, but Wally is better at the character. And I got to say that I agree, Benjo. Wally's Riddler, uh, to me, is like a great jazz song that honors all the versions before it, but is distinctly his own. Wally is very decidedly his own Edward E. Nigma, but with subtle notes of Frank Gorshin and John Glover kind of sneaking through every so often. But Wally definitely is dripping with his, his Edward Enigma is definitely dripping with his own, uh, menace i would say so thanks for reaching out Benjo. i think you're gonna like today's show as well let's get to it let's roll kato there
2: is no excuse for bad information because that's the kind of that's the thing that kind of ticks 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 me off in, in in the realms of the social media fandom and all of that kind of stuff is just that sloppy information half truths which get repeated enough times that it becomes whatever right it becomes some sort of relative urban truth or whatever mm-hmm. um so there's a big part of me that feels like i kind of just want everybody to have access to this and so there is no excuse for somebody yeah
0: purporting something different or skewed today his guest started loving the show as a kid but it was a pilgrimage to la that changed his life forever when he got to see many of the filming locations for the batman tv show Like most people, uh, hobby grew into an obsession, and he has since become what I like to call an expert's expert. Mr. Ben Bentley is well-known in the Batman 66 community. If he doesn't know it, he knows the guy that does. He can point you in the right direction. He is currently working with past and future guests, Scott Sebring, on a book of sorts that features all the shooting locations for the entire 120-episode run of the show. Collection, maybe is better, compendium, omnibus. Whatever it is, Ben reveals the title of the upcoming collection during our in-depth chat that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. Not enough Stalin. Alfred is trying to signal and tell me something over there in the corner. Hold on one second. Why Batman? Most of these, at least why the (laughs) 66 Adam West Batman? Most cats that enjoy this particular Batman are closer to my age. And you are considerably younger. I'd, I'd put you, you know, <laughs> mid to late twenties. Um, but so why is it that one? Like and 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 to be so knowledgeable on the subject, more so than a lot of a lot of cats my age. So, what it is about Adam and or Batman?
2: Okay, so that the the mid the mid twenties is generous. So yeah, I'm 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 in my early thirties now. So I don't I don't feel quite as uh, yeah quite as much as a of a, of a whippersnapper as before. But um. But no, honestly, this 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 show has been with me literally like pretty much my entire life at this point. So why? Okay, so why Adam West Batman? To be perfectly honest, that was my very first experience of the character, um, and I've uh, I've said this before. I think when I've tried to articulate to different people. In a relative sense, that show was my first experience with that character. So, regardless of whether or not I was born in 1966 or born in yeah 1996 or whatever, um, do you know what I mean? Your first is yeah. still your first, and I didn't I didn't know what else was out there. I was I mean, so yeah, I was born in '90. Okay, so yeah, I'm, I'm 30 years old at this point, and yeah, I think I first saw the show in what '94 in reruns and stuff. So Tim Burton had happened. Batman the animated series was on television at that point, but um, yeah, my my first my first exposure to the to to Batman as a character was yeah it was literally the the 60s TV show in reruns, um, and I guess I think I'd probably have to ask this question, but I guess I guess I was probably put in front of that specifically by by either my mom or my dad or whatever, um, in the sense that they had obviously they were aware of the show and whatnot, having yeah having sort of yeah been of that of that generation. Um, and yeah I was captivated from there I really was like in my mind there wasn't a disconnect between this looks old and this isn't new or this isn't present there was none of that there was something bizarrely timeless about it I guess other than the fact that obviously I acknowledged perhaps that the music was different and do you know what I mean like but you, as a child like I, I definitely didn't or couldn't articulate what it was that was different about it but I knew that I, I knew that I liked it and I think I think a big part of it, like uh, like kids who grew up with it in whichever decade, whether it was the sixties, seventies, eighties, or whatever, the color was just it. It was like a like a cartoon come to life, right? Like it, it is literally this incredibly just over the top lavish treat for the eyes and 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 whatnot. And you combine that with some daring do or whatever, and a young lad is pretty uh, pretty pleased with that combination of things. And I think. Because that was my benchmark for the character. Everything else that I saw after that, I was always using that as the yardstick, right? Um, right. Because my my experience with the show was inherently positive. There was something so, I don't know, just sincere and fun and just real. Like as a child, that is real to you, right? Like there is, yeah. And um, and that really did that really did stick with me. Um, there is probably a window of time maybe between. I don't know, say eight years old, and then probably thirteen years old or so, where like I, I kind of, I guess you, like most things, you drift away. James Bond was a big deal to me as a kid. Do you know what I mean? Like right. slightly, you grow into that next bracket of okay, there are now girls involved, and right. there are cars, right, and there exactly. Are, you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. That next evolution of like slightly more mature themes and whatever. Um, during the whole coming of age process and stuff. But no, honestly, I got to a stage where, yeah, I was I was home from school for, for nearly a week or so when I was 13 because I had simultaneously broken my, which way around was it? My left shoulder, yeah, my left, uh, yeah, sort of collarbone. And my right arm so for for a hot minute i was there like in a double <laughs> in a double sling a double cast kind of situation and although eventually i was able to sort of yeah i was able to sort of go back to school and stuff there was just that initial moment where it was like okay you're faba egg or whatever right you need to just sit still for for a hot second um and that was lit fortuitously that was at the moment where fx the network launched over here for the first time fx hadn't uh, hadn't had a sort of a Yeah, like a European incarnation until literally until 2003. Um, And sure enough, like their programming started at midday. And of all the things in the world, I find myself flicking through the channels and I'm greeted with Adam's Batman. And all of a sudden I'm literally just, yeah, I'm that four year old kid again. And I just from that point, I fell down the rabbit hole from that moment in time. The show has stayed with me literally through throughout the, the, the two decades that have followed that.
0: That's similar for I think a lot of fans is at least for me you know that's the first Batman, and I would say that's where my affection for Batman came from was from the show rather than the comics and then the show you know you're kind of known for as I've mentioned in the pre introduction known for your extensive knowledge <laughs> of uh the sets and where the locations have been filmed and all that stuff. How do you meander from? Right. Taking pictures, costumes. What part of that? What aspect of that yeah. niche so, of the fandom? I hood? think
2: I think it's something I'd always been interested in on some level, right? Because as a as a kid, I was. And this is again another pretty good inclination that I was going to head where I did in terms of career and stuff. I was always kind of interested in how the sausage was made uh-huh. right and i would I would love seeing the featurettes on on v h s tapes or catching them on the m t v making them. That kind of stuff and the idea of sound stages and kind of just the sort of the facade of it all was was genuinely really really interesting to me so it it wasn't I guess it wasn't too surprising that eventually that became one of the niches within (laughs) this love of the tv show that I kind of that I ended up sort of yeah leaning into a little bit more wholeheartedly but really it kind of it came from that first again that first year in california that first that first big trip because after comic con was was out of the way um we i was i was scheduled to be I, I planned out this whole trip and this itinerary and had booked hotels and all the rest of it and i was yeah i was due to be heading to la after san diego right after comic con um and uh yeah so so scott had said on either the saturday or the sunday let me know yeah let me know what your your movements are or whatever this week um, and I'll I'll have to take you up to the back cave, right? Like that's that's the it's, it's almost the rite of passage yeah. at this point. Somebody somebody who's a big fan of the show comes into town from our little sort of group of friends from our right. community and whatnot, and that Scott taking you up there is kind of the uh, that's that sort of it's it's almost uh, I don't want to say a given because that that implies a level of expectation, but that is uh, it's something that happens more often than you would think. Okay, um, so. I wasn't going to push for that. It wasn't something that I was kind. Of, like I said, it wasn't. It wasn't an expectation, but it was. It was something I wanted to do regardless. And to have have, like I said, Mister Mister Batos himself give me the guided tour was was amazing. Um, little did I know that, yeah, that what I thought was going to be just a morning heading up to Griffith Park and uh, Bronson Cave. Uh, turned into just a full blown um, bat day uh, because after we 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 got together we got together and had some uh, had some breakfast that morning or whatever over at Mel's Diner in Hollywood because it's it's just right down the street from from Griffith Park um, and he sort of he tenuously sort of said oh what are you, what are your plans after this do you have anything sort of pressing or whatever this afternoon kind of feeling me out a little bit. Uh, and i said well no honestly like i'm 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 here i'm a billion miles from home or whatever like i've got i've got my sightseeing list but there is the nobody's, nobody's, i'm not i'm not watching the yeah i'm not i'm not watching the clock at this point yeah i'm not so not so desperate to go and uh, yeah try and find uh, art Carney's star on the water of fame or whatever <laughs> that it can't wait. so so yeah, so he was he was feeling me out, and then after we uh we went up to the cave uh and uh his friend and now, subsequently, my my pal uh, Ruben Procopio, the the artist, um, joined us because uh, he and Scott had been friends for a couple of years. And Ruben's a, a big fan of the show. And then, obviously, some of your some of your listeners will recognise him as one of the artists on the on the Batman 66 comic book mm-hmm. and the and the animated movies and whatnot. But he he'd never actually been up to the cave. So Scott had mentioned, oh, I'm going to take Ben up there. You need to come along because you you still need to do this, right? We're gonna do a do a twofa. We're gonna knock this off the list for both of you. Um, and uh, after that, uh, after the cave, we'd been up there in the morning and whatnot before it got too hot. I'd thrown on my bat suit from the weekend, complete still with sweat stains and all the rest of it, and and had my had my photos, my again my rite of passage photos in the bat suit outside the cave and whatnot. Um, and it was actually Ruben who turned around and said, "Oh hey, I'm gonna go and visit my." I need to check in with my pal Dean Jeffries, who obviously <laughs> uh, created the the Black Beauty, right. right for the for the Green Hornet show. He said, "Oh, I need to go and see Dean about whatever it was, because he he and Ruben were he and Ruben were friends uh, in the later years of Dean's life." Um, he said, "Do you guys want to come over? Because he always loves meeting people who a know who he right. is and b dig what he does and whatnot." And we were both just kind of. Kind of like kids at that point, and I remember Scott making some random comment, which was to the effect of, "Oh, okay, yeah, timing-wise, yeah, like it, like, yeah, like, like an hour or so is would be cool, right?" Um, and uh, a little did I know because he'd actually arranged to take me to Warner Brothers that afternoon, over onto the Warner Brothers back lot. Um, oh yeah, uh huh. To to see the uh, to see the Commissioner Gordon steps basically to literally get to walk through. Gotham City. Um, so we we ran over. We visited with Dean Jeffries. He was a such a, such a great guy. Just a super down to earth, a real car guy, uh-huh. and just through and through, kind of kind of the anti George Barris in that sense. That he was not. His entire world was not sort of this uh, big, bright kind of carnival of. His sort of yeah of his work right. right he was he was still the guy who enjoyed doing the work and doing the projects and whatever and had this fairly unassuming um, looking garage just right off of uh, right off of the one hundred and one freeway in Hollywood and um, so yeah so we spent this great hour over there chatting with Dean and stuff and then uh, yeah and and like I said time was getting along and I could tell Scott was getting a little bit not not itchy but just aware of the time. Um, and uh, so anyway we said our goodbyes to Dean and stuff and then uh, and then Scott said okay so there's one more place I'd like to show you but do you happen to have any ID with you and I was like <laughs> uh, yes I mean I, I have my driver's license or whatever I might have even had my passport actually I probably was sort of yeah keeping that on me and safe at all times or whatever and I was like yeah okay and he was like okay and we and we we'd, we'd jumped back in the car And we're driving uh, for sort of 10, 15 minutes or whatever, and we turn a certain street corner, and I see the Warner Brothers water tower in front of us, and we are just heading directly towards it. We're We're on Warner Boulevard, just coming straight onto the lot. And all of a sudden, everything started to click into place. And I had one of those sort of semi, kind of, is this genuinely happening kind of moments or whatever. Um, and sure enough, he'd, he'd arranged with with a, with a friend of ours who works on the lot in uh, in post production and whatnot uh, to grab some grab us some passes, and so we could literally just take our own just self-guided tour, just wander through the through the facility. Um, and it was that, it was that point, it was, it was the moment where we were literally sitting on the steps of Commissioner Gordon's office, like I said, 5,000 miles away from home, and I'm looking around me at this world that I have been obsessed with for 20 years or whatever, right? Like I'm literally in Gotham City to all intents and purposes. And that was kind of what, that was the tree root that I tripped over. And after that, I became, yeah, my sort of, my firm kind of interest or whatever was like, okay, I want to find out anything and everything that I can sort of, yeah, about where the show was filmed, how it was filmed, and the real nuts and bolts of all of that stuff. Um, and and yeah, and and here we are sort of yeah, another sort of yeah, what, eleven, twelve years on from that and yeah, Scott and I are literally, as we speak, piecing together a book which identifies every single <laughs> location for exterior filming in the entire 120 episode show uh people have done it for star trek and they've done it for other shows but nobody has ever tackled it for batman a lot a lot of people are familiar with the basic uh sort of obvious stock shot kind of stuff like the bat cave and commissioner Gordon's steps mm-hmm. but we we really sort of wanted to kind of everything yeah, to, to iron out this yeah no absolutely yeah. because th- that's that's our disease as we both end up referring to it as we sort of, we want to know more, right? You want, you want to be able to tick stuff off and yeah. And, and, and in the process of that, you kind of, you learn, you learn the logic of making that show to the point at which we can now make these kind of sort of slightly more informed assertions about certain things based on, do you know what I mean? Seeing how the sausage is made and, and, the sort of the production logic as we call it involved in that kind of stuff um so so yeah i'm, I'm not sure we've i'm not sure we've mentioned elsewhere so this is maybe yeah this maybe this maybe is the time to drop it the the book is titled uh greetings from gotham
0: city Ooh, you <laughs> heard it you heard it here first
2: um, there you go All right. yeah, so it's uh it has it is gonna be it's gonna be pretty cool. The, the 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 layout we have in mind and whatnot is very much reminiscent of kind of uh postcards and guidebooks from tourist attractions in the sort of the fifties, sixties, seventies. Um and yeah, it seemed like the most sort of apropos and, and very very much fun way to present all of this information. <laughs> I love it. I
0: love it. So. It sounds awesome. And you've you've uh, I wanted to back it up for a just a little bit because you keep talking and you've mm. referenced him. Uh, past and future guest Scott Sebring runs the 1966 Batman message board, among anything, among yeah. other things, uh, which is where we came to know each other. But that's who your co-conspirator in this endeavor is, right? Yeah. So you've got a you've got a pretty good jump on the information. You're like you're like uh, at the center of the hub of the Batman 66 <laughs> information highway, right? So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean potentially. Most I'm not qu- sure I would I would describe it that way because there is always something else to learn. Yeah. But no, like in terms of in terms of being a a sort of a, a fairly good point man for if I don't know it I can Right. Tell if you, you don't know
0: the don't answer, answer um, you know the guy that yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So what t- tell me a little bit about what sort of um what sort of things are you using to do your research on the locations? Um I know you I'm I know you use like uh the scripts and you have uh, location shots and stuff like that, but talk talk about what you and Scott do to uh, to zero in on where these places are.
2: Yeah, so um, so one one of the one of the biggest resources that became available uh, over the course of sort of yeah the mid two thousands was what we now kind of sort of fairly uh, loosely describe as the as the Dozier archives, right? right? So William Dozier, the, the executive producer of the show, he left. His uh pretty meticulously uh kept memos and production paperwork he left that in a in a collected archive um to the University of wyoming um and he uh he'd had it on loan there for a little while and then eventually sort of a couple of years before he passed he sort of he formalized it as a gift and this was going to be his legacy and so on and so forth um so that repository of information. Uh, was this fantastic resource um so within that there is there is literally seemingly every memo letter and otherwise it appears that he fired off in the course of um in the course of his uh definitely his sixties career, perhaps not so much the fifties but the sixties definitely um and within that was was a lot of shooting schedules for the second and third season mm-hmm. um which was a a jumping off point in terms of really getting to identify, okay, this is where this is saying this was filmed and subsequently, okay, we know this now looks like this. Um, so for, for season two, uh, pretty good in terms of being able to say, okay, this was done at Fox, this was done at Culver City, this was done at Warner Brothers, whatever. Um, but conspicuous by its absence in a lot of ways was really any paperwork from season one. Um, and as sort of most fans of the show would tell you, season one is, is the season that people consider to be the best and consider to be where that show was firing on all of its cylinders. Yet, ironically, we had very little information about the series, the season, that people actually seem to care most about. Um, And to the point at which, when you look at the show as a whole, and you start looking at it from the point of view of location filming, they did way more, seemingly way more locations, real-world locations, in season one than they did in two or three. So there was this irony that we had a bunch of paperwork and documentation for the point of the show where everything was just being done in the most simple way possible. Mm-hmm. So this is where this whole deep dive really started was like, hang on a minute. We know enough to kind of get us a ballpark of this is what 40 Acres at Desilu looks like, the back lot that they had there. We know that Warner Brothers looks like this because we know that this was here and we've subsequently had the opportunity to walk the lot and kind of learn the real life sort of geography of that stuff. And, uh, and for the longest time, we knew very little about what 20th century Fox's back lot looked like in the, in the sixties. Uh, because nowadays there is next to nothing on that lot other than sound stages. Um, so in the early sixties, Fox produced, uh, Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was this huge, huge movie, but they sunk so much money into it that they 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 hit the point whereby which they literally ended up selling off their actual backlot um, for real estate because they needed this big cash injection from a movie that probably wasn't the wisest of sort of financial decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm 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 going way way back there, but sort of as a result of that, the stuff they were filming at Fox was kind of just. Wedged in between sound stages, it was this stuff was built up against the side of, of soundstage buildings, which was totally different to the approach that we were seeing at Warner Brothers, which had this big sort of very traditional, very movie studio looking backlot. When you imagine a backlot in your mind, like uh, Warner Brothers New York Street, is exactly what you were picturing. Right. It is almost the cliche sort of embodied. Um, but yeah, so this this fascination uh, with the first season kind of yielded this point where we were like hang on a minute we know this doesn't look like warner's and we know this doesn't look like 40 acres at at culver so fox became this big fascination to us just in terms of the fact we were being baited by the fact we didn't have any tangible stuff right it was something you could really sink your teeth into um which is what we did and have and sort of are continuing to do, we're kind of, we're, we're definitely rattling through now. We're we're pretty close to, I mean, at the point of recording this, I'd say, I think we've probably got less than 20 shots altogether from 120 episodes left to identify. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> which, which, yeah, wow. when you put it in those kind of numbers, it like, seems seems pretty wild. Um, And one of the very few silver linings of the last 12 months and sort of the COVID scenario and everyone being kind of grounded and sort of having to hang out at home and stuff that has given us a whole a whole bunch of time to sort of to really spend on this that we potentially would not have done in such a concerted period of time um so it's been really Really, really fun in the midst of all the very real world stuff going on around us in our real lives to sort of to invest this time that we wouldn't otherwise potentially have justified. This project could have taken five years longer if if COVID have kicked in.
0: Finally got time to work on that book. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's
2: it. And it wasn't as if we set out to make a book initially. It was born out of the fandom of we wanted to know this information and we knew people who would be excited to also know this information. But you get to a point where it's like, hang on a minute, 120 episodes is a lot of show. And it's like, well, how do you how do you package that information? How do you even present this to somebody in a vaguely coherent way? And eventually kind of by a by a process of elimination, we talked at one point, oh, is this a series of videos and whatnot? And, and that would be lovely. Believe me, it really, really would. It would be great to make an individual video entry for each one of these places, but so many of them have changed or don't look the way they did. Or it, it, it would be a pretty cumbersome and pretty, yeah, like I said, incoherent way of doing it. And eventually we kind of settled on the most simple um, and rudimentary of, of ways of collecting together this information. And we said, well, really, this should be a book. (laughs) So somebody now just has the one-stop shop, uh, whether they're beating somebody over the head on a Facebook group or whatever they're doing, there is a point of reference, right, right, that somebody can say, no, look, these guys (laughs) on this date or whatever said this this is the case, right, as opposed to, oh, I think I vaguely remember hearing something that Adam said. Thirty-five years ago, right, Do you know what right, I mean? right. The idea
0: of having sure, a reference yeah. point for this settle wasn't settle there. all the arguments. You know, uh,
2: yeah, we've, that's, we've got that's a, it, a book yeah. behind
0: the bar that settles all the sports book sports yeah. arguments. So I mean, when it, you need to have the <laughs> yeah. final answer, right? Well, that's yeah. it,
2: right? Like, yeah, it's the bat location almanac or whatever, yeah. and it's just that's that's yeah, that that that's what we decided. Um, yeah, would be the probably the best way to kind of just, yeah, to put this this puppy out there or whatever and sort of uh, wash our hands of it at that point. It's out there and the, the reference point is there. We've, we've done the work, right? right?
0: <laughs> you had the blueprints and whatnot for the bat poles and helped settle that. What mm-hmm. you mentioned, uh, like, uh, I wouldn't call it a conspiracy, misinformation about how tall <laughs> the bat poles actually were. So uh, along comes Ben Bentley with blueprints and schematics and... Right and all that kind of stuff. Um, so what? What? Uh, and and put put that to bed that they couldn't have been more than thirty feet tops, right? Twenty eight, thirty feet. Yes.
2: Yeah. So, yeah I, th- I think so. Yeah. Somewhere in the region of about thirty yeah. or so, give or take. Without me, without me pulling it back up right. in front of me. Um. Yeah. No. So so the the idea the idea of misinformation or whatever has just always been one of those kind of uh, <laughs> you know, what grinds my gears kind of <laughs> moments. You know? like uh-huh. it's Uh just to cross our references there with uh, with Family Guy for a hot second, but um, but yeah, it's it's always been one of those things that's kind of just ached at me a little bit in that the information is out there, right? <laughs> and it and it's kind of funny that in the sort of the with the progress that we've made technologically and otherwise in the last uh, decade or so, people's ability or willingness to uh, research anything further than simply one. the end of their right. nose. Um, definitely yeah kind of itches and aches at me um and like i said um having having grown up in a in a like a, in a fandom and a community where it was it became about sharing information and it became exciting because people were being so open and so willing about sharing information whether it was about props or costumes or scripts or how to get a hold of this document or how to get a hold of this prop or what or whatever so it's an extension of all of that like it's it, it it's it's a case of sort of yeah i being able to being able to answer these questions um and being able to sort of try and put some sort of definitive on it rather than simply quoting anecdotal stuff from from adam or Bert or whatever which is 35 years and however many cocktails <laughs> in the rear view mirror it's and time itself passing sure. right it's it's, sure. I mean yeah, any, I mean anybody so, tells
0: the same story okay. over and over, you know, the, you right. know,
2: and I and I do not hold right. that against them. And I I I personally have never held that over anyone's head. I've always sort of been willing to enjoy the entertainment value right. and kind of yeah, and sort of take the grain of salt right, right. where it's a story, right? Yeah. But again, within a fandom, you have different kinds of right. people, right? And you do have people who are more inclined to uh, take things at face value. Uh, and there are people who definitely get upset if somebody attempts to contradict, uh, whether it's maliciously or otherwise, the, do you know yeah. what I mean, what somebody who was physically there and then on the show has, has right. sort of said. So my kind of, again, long, long-winded, long terrible, terrible, long-winded answer. But no, coming back to something as simple as, okay, but gives you a wacky three-digit number telling you how high the bat poles are, I'm not the guy who's gonna tell you Bert's wrong. I'm the guy who's gonna tell you, Okay, this is the document. This right. is the guy who this is yeah. the guy yeah. who sketched the blueprint. He said it was this height, so unless the guy who built it decided that he just wanted to get pretty adventurous, I'm gonna say it's the number written down on this piece of paper
0: courtesy of twentieth century clock. Right. right. I like I like the idea of of <laughs> Ben just sitting up in the middle of the night all sweaty and he looks at his poster of, of like the Gotham skyline. With the bad signal out, it says the truth is out there, right? Right. 85 feet? No way. There's no way. (laughs) (laughs) Greetings from Gotham City. Will Ben be able to pick up all these names? Will he get any sleep knowing that some people still believe in the fourth season myth? Don't despair, listeners. Tune back in after the break. Same POW Channel, same POW Cast.
2: This is an ABC Color Presentation.
1: Don't forget to join us right here every three or four or five-ish weeks or so for Saturday Morning Serial, the podcast that explores the themes of Saturday Morning TV, which not only did we all grow up with, they've also been growing up with us. So join Dan Grimshay, Mark E., Jimmy the Gentleszinski, and Johnny Heck, plus a whole host of celebrity guests, cameos, and recipe tips. Viewer discretion is advised because we do sometimes say fuck and fuck and shit and what the fuck Saturday morning cereal see you soon'll we'll be right back. Um, I can't find the sugar
0: <laughs> I'm going to once again have Alfred employ the Bat-time dilation machine, this time back to the summer of 2017 and my visit to the Comic-Con Palm Springs. Holy migo, Batman balls, was it hot. The thermometer topped out at a blistering 119 degrees, which I had never seen before in my life. But my son and I braved the heat and went inside and went on to meet voice actor extraordinaire John DiMaggio. Listeners might recognize him as Jake the Dog or Bender, but so many more. He voices a couple of my absolute favorite performances in animation. He is the Joker in Under the Red Hood, and he also plays Aquaman on Batman the Brave and the Bold. But it was his Aquaman that made me absolutely fall in love with the show that would become my second favorite Batman TV show. Listen in as John chets with my son and I about both of them. Jimmy, Big Jimmy is Little Jimmy. From yes. And uh, I, as mentioned earlier, I really love uh, your take on Aquaman the and Brave the Bold.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Where does some of that come from? Where do you get the inspiration to?
1: Well, I mean, the, the, the way they drew it, the way they presented him, the way that, the way that they wrote him was—he was a very bombastic showman. Um, although, like, very sincere and very powerful. Um, I mean, you know, he's Aquaman. He controls seventy-five percent of the the planet, you know, King of Atlantis, but they, they just let me kind of play and it was awesome and it was uh, really great, the guys that wrote the show um, were, were fantastic, Tucker and Jelinek and, uh, I mean, those guys, they put it together and, and, and they are fantastic, uh, Andre Romano was the director and so, you know, when you get in the booth with those people, it just, magic happens.
0: That's what everybody says about working with that crew. Oh, Yeah. Michael Houston? Yeah. He works, uh, he works with Dynamic Partners in Red Sea Hawaii.
1: Okay, okay, <laughs> okay, sure, yes, yes, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, the yes. The Yes, the yeah. Curries. Cr- yeah.
0: the Curry's of
1: Atlantis, yeah, absolutely, when they go on the road trip,
0: absolutely which was fabulous.
1: ridiculous, which yeah. was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah.
0: Um, one, another, one of your favorite characters is your take on the Joker. Uh, Thanks, man. You were, I think, completely different than anybody vocally bar but, you were right, but different I, more
1: I, I think I think that the the way they wrote it and the way they presented it to me, and I came in like to, to they had somebody else in the role and it wasn't working out, and they were they were kind of in a pinch, and so they brought me in, and I I don't know you know listen if you get to the plate and there's you know three men on right. nine outs you know, I, you know I mean you know three men on two outs in the ninth then you know you you get it done. Um, and and we just had a and that was another Andrea Romano gig, um, and so that was that was really something special and uh, I'd love to do that again but I haven't been approached, which is totally fine because you know listen I'm lucky enough to play it once I'll take it, uh, but yeah it was a very um, very very dark real and dark, you know it was one of those uh, it was one of those Batman movies that was you know quite violent um and so you know in, in like an anime sort of a you know sort of a, a, a way and and so you know the, the, when you 're allowed to do that you can get a little you can get a little deeper you can go you can do a little more you know because you're not you know there's, there's no it's less cartoony you know and it 's more of an adult animation so, sort of thing so 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 yeah there was a it was a different place, and you know, and the Joker's an iconic role. So when you get the opportunity to play it, you want to do your own spin. So, yeah. and I was lucky enough to do that. Sure did. Thanks. No uh, Jimmy. You know, love to get a shot at playing Batman. That's how I got Aquaman, because it came down to me and Diedrich Bader, and they picked Diedrich. And I got Aquaman as a, as a uh, you know, consolation prize, which was the greatest consolation prize ever. And then, uh, you know, just, I, I, I would love to play Batman. That would be a lot of fun. But if I don't get to play Batman, that's all right, because I played the Joker, so it's just like, you know, eh, it's all right. Troy Baker, who's uh, to my right somewhere, he, uh, he was able to play both Batman and the Joker, which is kind of cool. So I'd love to be able to get that notch in my belt one day.
0: There you go. Is that it? Did you ever work with Adam West on
1: Family Guy? Um no but I've met I, I, I'd I'd met Adam and he was he was a nice he was a nice guy. Well he's my Batman. You know, the sixties Batman was my Batman and so you know, and she C- just like she's a Romero was my joker. Um but, you know, Adam West who's a was a cool cat. And I did I did I was in the studio with him I think once or twice. Um but he was a you know, he was a good guy and uh, and and you know, it's sad to see him go. But like he had such a big influence on on, on everybody, on, on you know, on popular culture. It touched yeah, it touched a lot of people. I mean, you know, and they had that big tribute for him in downtown Los Angeles, you know, after he had passed away. You know, they, sh- they shined the bat signal and, you know, thousands of people gathered and it was great, you know. So, I mean, you know, sad to see him go, but I mean he lived a... He lived his full life, and he was well-loved, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seen here is Lyle Wagoner playing the part of millionaire Bruce Wayne, testing with Peter Dayell, who performs in the role of Dick Grayson.
0: It looks black as pitch, Dick. I've been through all my father's old law books, and I don't see we have a leg to stand on. My identity exposed... My value as a secret crime fighter ended. Everything I've trained myself for since my parents were murdered in the ash can. Gone up the chute. That's too terrible to face. It's a dirty trick. It's a dirty trick. And when our good housekeeper, poor Mrs. Cooper, when she finds out what you've been doing on these supposed fishing trips of ours, I'm afraid the blow would kill her. And when our good housekeeper, poor
1: Mrs. Cooper, finds out what you've been doing on these supposed fishing trips of ours... I'm afraid the blow will kill her. Listen, Bruce,
0: I've got an idea. Yes? Remember what the Riddler said when he slipped you that summons? What is it that no one wants to have, yet no one wants to lose?
1: And you answered a
0: lawsuit. But the Riddler went on. When you chewed over this one,
2: look for two others. What do you guess he meant? Two other riddles, of course.
0: Exactly. And where can we look? Look, between the lines. When is the time of a clock like the whistle of a train? When it's two to two. Two, two, two. Right you are. Holy caboose. Sure.
2: Here's another one. What has neither flesh, bone, nor nail, yet has four fingers and a thumb? A glove.
0: Roger. Two, 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 a glove it must be an address I get it 222 Glover Avenue you've done it chum
1: you've done it chum my job was to make the absurdity real by portraying a character that was so obsessed and involved in what he was doing that it was total belief but they would also see the absurdities um... in the test when Batman says Or Bruce Wayne says, we don't have a leg to stand on. As he gets up on two good legs, little things like that, you see, add up. And pretty soon, I think the audience begins to sense and notice all that.
0: Holy bombshell! Ben is giving out more secret locations. The crushing finale is here. For those faint of heart, don't look away. The best is yet to come. So you've made a lot of discoveries like that, and put some, some things to bed, and, and you've discovered some place, you know, some places you mentioned some places you knew exactly where they were, some locations. Is there anything yeah, that sticks so out as your favorite discovery, or that? Neatest. Coolest. Oh, it, it's,
2: kind of, it's kind of hard, it, it's hard to pin down individual ones because in the moment, in the thrill of the chase, as it were, when you are kind of head down the rabbit hole and you're trying to figure this stuff out and you're piecing together stuff from scratch, it all feels super exciting. Right. And quite often the jumping off point, um, just, so, just, just to not sort of, um, I guess, warp the perception of this, the jumping off point can sometimes be as simple as it would simply say, Fox. In the location column, right yeah. <laughs> that's several square miles of <laughs> of of real estate uh, so it's it's not just being able to just glibly say, "Oh, this is Warner brothers, this is culver this is this is fox it's about being able to say, "This is the southwest corner of this street and the stage, and you would be looking towards the hill and right. do you know what i mean it it's about being able to if these things don't still exist, actually pinpoint. Where these things were, as if you were going to take the tour, right? As if you were going to go on your your day trip with your with your fold out map, and you were going to say, "This is where that happened, right? This is the Grassy Knoll." Right. <laughs> this is, do you know what I mean? It's it's that kind of that kind of detail. Um, but no, I mean there was there was a point back in May where we started to really look at the movie because we. We'd had early on, before we even sort of formally started trying to collect this stuff with the purpose of doing the book, the location stuff and figuring it out between us has been part of Scott and I's own fandom and something we enjoy doing and spending time on together and whatnot, whether it's in person or whether it's over over Skype or whatever, um, and we'd had this pretty fun kind of moment with the opening of the movie with the helicopter flying over and all the rest of it and, and figuring out which street that was in Westwood and all of that kind of stuff. And we got to a stage, like I said, in, in May or so this this last year where we said, hang on a minute, other than the pier, which we knew where that was, we were like, okay, where was the bat boat? Where, where, where was the, the airfield with the with yeah the helicopter. With the, with the bat cop there? There, there was a there was just a lot of other stuff that we looked, we took a precursory glance and people weren't talking about. Um, and, and maybe somebody out there will tell you that they knew it was Van Nuys Airfield or whatever, but those people certainly weren't audibly saying so online, right? right? Or, or within the, the circle of... Um, of sort of of fans uh, turned experts that we uh-huh. that we turn uh-huh. to, um, so yeah, so there, there, there were moments like that where you are truly it starts out as the biggest needle in a haystack, um, and you just narrow it down and you narrow it down and you narrow it down um, and yeah that 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 stuff that stuff gets very fun um, and and sometimes these answers come from finding it in another show or another movie or we end up using other shows as alternate camera angles to get the context of where something is, right?
0: Yeah, right.
2: Because <laughs> you get to see perhaps to the left or to the right or behind or in front of or whatever. And, yeah, so the, 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 approach, the approach varies. Some of the stuff initially, um, I think, so to actually try and answer the, the question you did ask me, I think one of the most fun discoveries we made was the Bat Road, as we call them. So the opening of every single show they go down the bat poles, they exit the bat cave, we see that Bronson Canyon shot that everybody knows and Mm -hmm. loves. And then after that, we see what in the minds of of fans are these iconic driving shots of that beautiful car tearing through the Hollywood Hills. Okay, And over time, whether it's IMDB or whether or not, I think even maybe even in the Eisner book, there is reference to it being Mulholland Uh, Drive. And there was just, Something about that, that never quite sat right. And as I, over time, as I was going back and forth to Los Angeles over the years, we would occasionally go to different places and check different stuff out and whatever. And we were, we were driving on Mulholland at one point and we were just like, this really isn't it. This At no point in time was this road ever wide enough to just simply have the kind of space to shoot it the way they shot right. it. And that's not to say that the the shrub doesn't look right and that if you squint at this angle and kind of look down here, you can convince yourself it looks like something. We were like, hang on, we need to – sometimes you've got to close your eyes and open them again, right? So we were literally looking at Google Map aerial satellite views of the Hollywood hills, and using a little bit of that kind of that production logic of okay, they shot this at the same time they shot the Batmobile stuff at the cave um, according to the production paperwork that we had um, so we were like assuming they 're not going to go clear off fifty miles into the desert right <laughs> within reason where could where could they have used, and over time. You slowly start zeroing in on different little pockets of of terrain and territory that look like they might work. And then you say, okay, so in the show, he does this kind of bend here, and then we see a shot of this kind of bend. And it becomes a visual thing at that point. You're not looking for something that looked perfect. You're initially just looking for shapes. Because you know if it does the S turn, even if stuff's been built up around that or changed, People for the most part don't straighten out roads that aren't
0: straight. Right, right.
2: <laughs> so it, it becomes this thing of tracking, like I said, tracking down shapes and whatnot. And that that one was that one was a lot of fun because we we talked about that on and off for two or three years at least. From going from, oh, somebody said it's Mulholland to being like driving down Mulholland and saying doesn't really feel I can't see where this would turning into okay I kind of that you then actually get the itch and you have to scratch it um and um yeah we 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 did we did the research and whatnot and then it turned into okay well we've got to put our money where our mouths are right and yeah (laughs) you park the car and you get your backpack and you okay we're going hiking in the hills right we're gonna see if this road that we identified is the road and sure enough it is so if you are if you are visiting l a or whatever and you're checking out Griffith Observatory, then you've got no excuse not to take an extra thirty minutes and tag it onto the end of your observatory trip. Um, the road uh, that was used for all of those driving sequences in the pilot, including the Riddler chase and all of yeah. that kind of good stuff, um, is literally on um, a hiking trail, what is now a hiking trail um, so Mount Hollywood Drive is the name of the road and it literally kicks out at the bottom of the parking lot for the Griffith Observatory <laughs> and it takes you up and you wind up through the hills and yeah, you, you probably walk for about a mile and then you, the first thing you hit after that mile marker is pretty much that shot of the Batmobile coming around the tree and then the camera pans across and whatnot. And yeah. So, so in terms of things that were truly satisfying from idea to sort of, okay, this is what we think it is to, okay, we are literally standing here holding a camera trying to recreate the shot.
0: And it hasn't changed that much, right?
2: There we go. No, it honestly hasn't. So the, the tree is bigger, uh-huh. uh, obviously, because Time. 50 years <laughs> yeah. of tree growth, um, is is a tangible is a tangible quantity um yes there are minuscule changes like okay so the curb here was widened or it was extended out they they actually created an almost picnic kind of area in the shade of how big that tree had Uh become so so yeah so that changed a little bit but no essentially you look one way you see a tree you see the same bend the same turn you're seeing the same kind of faceless no real kind of identifiable sort of landscape behind it and then you pan the camera and all of a sudden you see the next turn that the car takes and it's all born out of finding those shapes and just sort of
0: that's yeah, sort of that's really kind the of theory. magical to like come up over the hill like that and then you're like in the shot right or like your po view is yeah. the shot like i've i've pretty, pretty like much, the yeah. first couple times i was up at uh bronson cave uh was kind of the same <laughs> thing when you come around that corner you're like no, it's just right that like yeah. boom right there you know it hits you
2: yeah, it is, and it, it kind of, uh, and you 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 know this because you you've been there and whatnot. But all of this stuff is so firmly imprinted on all of us, right? From such an early right. age, there is something surreal and almost, almost emotional, yeah. like in terms of just the the the, the feeling in your stomach. Like I'm you said, when, when right you turn now, around I talk about it, yeah. Time. No, yeah. absolutely, and that's and and it is that feeling, that childlike kind of wonder which has been the jumping off point for all of this right because otherwise like why would you why would anybody choose to bury themselves in this kind of minutiae if it wasn't like a genuine house? right right uh and it is and it is it's a place it's a place of joy and it's become sort of a fixture within a friendship which is much bigger than all of this stuff ultimately for a niche audience within an already niche audience right but like yourself the people who get it get it and it, and it is it's that it's that silly feeling in your stomach where you feel like you're 5 years
0: old and you can see the batmobile coming yeah. towards you right like it's that yeah. it's that sense It's that little thing. dopamine rush and uh like you said you're you're 5 yeah, years a- old again i love it man
2: yeah adam is such a unique yardstick to try and gauge any of this stuff against
0: um he's playing it straight but he has a sense of the timing right he's aware of of the comedy and the timing but at no at least first yeah. season right
2: well no for yeah. sure and, and that's i mean that's that's what i that's what i kind of i still to this day love about that performance is he not just anybody could have done what he did yeah. and certainly the show we know and has had the the sort of the pop culture sort of significance for the length of time that it has had is born out of the interpretation that adam gave of of that pilot script right if if he and lorenzo weren't so kind of so very much on that same page out of the gate if if lyle wagner had played bruce wayne we wouldn't have had a second correct and I've, i've I've said yes for a long time now. That's not to say I don't like Lyle or whatever. Like he always seemed, he always seemed like a very, very pleasant guy and and, and whatnot. But in terms of casting, you watch, you watch that uh, that screen right. test, S-
0: especially side by side. I mean, right.
2: Especially yeah. side by side. Uh, which, if you've not done, by the way, it's on YouTube and whatnot. It used to be one of those kind of rarities that fans would sell on VHS tapes at conventions and whatnot. But but no, nowadays it's on the Blu-ray set and it's on it's online and stuff. So check that out if yeah. you haven't. But yeah, the day and night nuances between Adam and Bert and uh, Lyle Wagner and Peter Dael are just staggering, and it's kind of it's. It almost scares me, and like we were this close to not having what we had. Right, right, right. <laughs> had some executive just happened to have had some sort of real kind of interest in Lyle Wagner, mm-hmm. right? If somebody had, and Hollywood is littered with examples of those what might have been kind of moments, and the whole Batman show even existing feels like one of those. It came this close to not being a show, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in that the the test screenings rated awfully with the test audience which just goes to show that test audiences don't know anything um and if it hadn't have been a mid-season replacement show and it hadn't have already been bought and paid for right then it would never have hit the air and whatnot and yeah that the casting feels like that it's kind of it's lightning striking multiple times in a very specific window of time even um so I mean, similarly to, to to meeting Adam again, I was fortunate enough that in the in the in the years following, um, yeah, meeting Adam for the first time, I got to meet a lot of the other cast members who were still with us at that point. I um, yeah, I met, I met Burt Ward and I met uh, I met Julie for the first time, Anne Lee Merriweather and uh, Malachi Throne too. Mm-hmm. Actually, I met all of those guys in one weekend um, in April at the. Um, at the wizard world show in, uh, in Anaheim in 2010. Um, and that, that show that weekend was really special to me in a lot of ways. Cause not only was I taking a lot of these people off of my list, that was actually the first time that I got to attend one of the message board get togethers. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that had really kind of enchanted me about the message board over time, and I touched on this earlier when I talked about, um, Scott kind of journaling his experience at, at San Diego Comic Con, but one of the one of the other kind of sort of things that became really really fascinating to me was that message board members were actually starting to get together and meet up at these uh, these shows over time. So certain shows would come up, uh, whether it was in Novi in Michigan or Screaming Tiki or in Chiller in New York or whatever. There would be, it seemed like each year there would be a show where there was enough of the cast getting together that it was central enough for a lot of board members to kind of get together. And that always looked like the most fun in the world because over time, as, as Scott would tell you, it would start out as okay, he'd open up his hotel room. Uh, on say the saturday evening or whatever and people could swing by after the convention with their with they could bring along their props and their costumes or their whatever it was like their their bootlegs at that point dvds and and just sit around and and do do what we do on video Mm -hmm. batcher right talking about talking about all of this stuff with other people who who get it and whatnot and as as the years went by sort of pretty quickly these things started just getting bigger it went from it being okay this is five people from the message board getting together to it being this is 15 20 and and like one of those shows they ended up i think it was screaming tiki uh they in 2008 they ended up with literally like a the the promoter gave them a a hotel ballroom like a small (laughs) like uh ballroom off of one of the main rooms to get together um and have a bat party or whatever and it was just tables full of props that everybody brought and it was just it was a real life forum Mm -hmm. right it was it was the real life manifestation of that stuff um so yeah, so the, the Wizard show in, in Anaheim in 2010 was super special to me because that was the first time I then got to meet all of these other board members who were flying in at that point. So I was I was already by this point good friends with Scott and Wally and we'd all spent time together. Uh, but that was my first time meeting a lot of these other guys who I had sort of known in inverted commas or whatever online for, for several years at that point um and we got to yeah and we got to hang out and, and again more friendships were forged um sort of yeah my pals Chris and Troy who I met that weekend for the first time have again have just gone on to be these guys who yeah are, are still are still great great friends uh yeah 10 years 10 years down the line um so that that weekend was a lot of fun and just seeing that camaraderie that was very much a, a pinnacle for me in terms of what that message board was capable of the, the thing that made that incredible incredibly special and unique was um yeah our friend Mark Hardeman who owns a pair of original screen used uh, Adam and Bert, Batman and Robin costumes he was down that weekend for the convention and we were all hanging out and whatnot but he had agreed to bring these original costumes along to the to the get together for the board members so that weekend will forever be on a on a pedestal of sorts for so many different reasons but um I got to literally put on
0: that oh. cowl of
2: Adams and stuff. Again, it was it was that same feeling of seeing the Batcave or, or being on Commissioner Gordon's steps or whatever. It was just living and breathing this stuff and, and in just such a tangible and sort of tactile way. Um, and uh, and again, yes, Mark Mark is honestly one of the nicest guys in the known universe. And if if anybody out there could uh, could could own those suits, I'm I'm glad uh, I'm glad it's him because he's been so open and sort of just 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 a, just a great guy just a totally right attitude there are so many collectors out there who it's their treasure right and they are mm-hmm. sort of they they spend a lot of money on this my, stuff my and precious they, the hoarding mentality yeah, yeah exactly they go for Gollum, and to some extent that's their prerogative right but but mark uh, mark Hardeman is the is the antithesis of that not only is he an incredibly funny guy uh an incredibly nice guy but he also has has Yeah, always had that sort of that very generous, open, open kind of sort of arms kind of uh, policy where sort of friends and and fans are concerned and stuff. And uh, yeah, like I said, that was that was a really that was a really special one. That's one of those ones where I don't know whether or not you could top that. You could try and sort of replicate that weekend in different manners. But the fact that Adam and well, Adam is gone now, Yvonne is gone yeah, it's that magic and that kind of all of those ingredients will never quite be assembled in the same the same way again. Um I was
0: I'm going to ask you about the um the VIP party for the museum for the Hollywood Museum when everybody right, got yeah. together similarly to show off all their stuff on display at the at the museum. There was a big crowd there. So, I mean is yeah. is there is there some feeling about how that had evolved from your first meeting in Anaheim in the ballroom to now you're putting all these things on this behind big glass walls and all these amassed collectors.
2: That's totally it. If, If there was anything that sort of, yeah, came close to recapturing that camaraderie and whatnot, then yeah, then, then absolutely the, the launch for the, for the 1966 Batman exhibit at the Hollywood museum uh, back in was that the January of 2018? I want to say. Um, that sounds right. 2018, yeah. It that sounds right, right? Somebody's going to be like, no, no, that was. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Whenever that was, it was yeah, a couple a couple of years ago now. Yeah, that was that was the nearest thing to yeah to 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 recapturing that kind of that that camaraderie and that incredible just pure like unbridled fun that we would, that we would have. Um And I mean, that whole exhibition, I can't, I can't honestly take any, any credit for that at all, because that, that, that wasn't, that wasn't my, my project. I, I supported in whichever right, ways but, I but could. But you were there. And, uh, towards, towards, no, and I was, yeah. And I, I flew out, I came out for that. Um I, I, yeah, I, I mean, LA has become a, a sort of a home away from home, Uh, anyway for me in the course of the last sort of decade or so and um, yeah and there was there was yeah there was no way I wasn't wasn't going to be there but what was what was kind of fun was not only was it wild for there to be an exhibition about the 66 Batman show like literally in the middle of Hollywood in front of the world's eyes as it Mm -hmm. were right but when I looked at those setups and what was being displayed it kind of felt like a it felt like a, a tribute to this group of friends right. that i had developed because instead of looking at seeing the joker and the riddler and and mr freeze and mad hatter i was seeing bob and chris and troy and all of this this love and hard work that had gone into assembling these beautiful replica props and and pulling all of this stuff together. Um, And the work that Wally and Scott did uh, to to sort of, to really tie all of that stuff together um, was, was just, yeah, unprecedented. So, I mean, I, I, I did the barest minimum thing, which was I was, I was doing my best to spread the word And, and the run up to that launching I was trying to get Waller in every podcast you could think of or whatever, just hooking him up with John uh-huh. Drew and, and the Batbox guys and all these other... Po- I was inadvertently, without realising it, doing PR for the show just because I wanted people to, to hear about it and, and find out about this exhibition and stuff. Um, but no, yeah, that, that launch night and that party was uh, chaotic and busy and uh, just an absolute blur. But honestly, the most fun part of that whole exercise um was after yeah. after the 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 launch party proper we we all descended next door to mel's diner which uh i i really like i really like mel's as it is it's a it's a hollywood staple right, right? um so to be there with my 30 best bat buds was just really special because everybody – there was just that sense that everybody had flown in from everywhere. And a lot of people were doing sort of crazy quick trips because everybody just desperately wanted to make sure they could make it. There were people who were – a couple of our friends were literally, after the party, they were going back to LAX to be on a right. flight at like in the next right, right. morning or whatever. <laughs> and all of that kind of madness. And it just – like I said, it just captured – that fun that we would have at these conventions and that I had grown up seeing uh, this. It was, yeah, it was, it was another shot at something that we probably didn't think was ever really going to happen again in the same way. Um, and I mean that in the sense that because Adam isn't with us anymore and Yvonne isn't with us anymore and everybody has been to these shows and they've met the cast and whatever else. It was not that that was required, but that had always been the backdrop or it had been the jumping right. off point in order for somebody to put a date on the calendar and say, this is where we're going. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Get right. in. This is where we're going. Right. Um, so, yeah. So it was really special to me. Um, yeah. To, to to try and do that. And I was I was definitely trying to rally. Rally our friends and whatnot. Um, there was a couple of people I think who were on the fence about whether or not they were going to be able to make it or whatever else. And I was just kind of, I, I definitely put the screws on a couple of people and just said, "Look, let's uh, for for the sake of uh, yeah, sort of having having another having another glory day or whatever." But um, but yeah, but that but that that's it. Like those those relationships and sorry to, to interrupt you there, but I guess just to, to to kind of finish that thought and to just try and just just really sort of find a hook to hang it on all of this stuff the love for this tv show as sincere and as pure as it is doesn't come close to what the friendships and the relationships that I have developed as a result of this fandom mean to me and that's probably the most succinct way that I could phrase that um, I've yeah I've got friends dotted around all over the world at this point because of Television show, right? And it's and it's it's bizarre. Like I said to you, like some of those people over time, Scott, Vicky, and and Wally and whatnot have become a second family to me, um, and our lives intersect in every way outside of the immediacy of <laughs> the TV show. But that is always going to be the sort of the yeah sort of a, the root of all of that, I guess. But but like I said, sort of of all the cool experiences and the fortunate things I've been able to sort of to do as a result of this. But yeah, I wouldn't trade any of that for the time I got to yeah, to spend with my pals just yeah, just having the having the best time sharing in something that we all that we all dig. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well said.
0: I was just gonna <laughs> say enough. at that at Mel's I sat next to uh Mark and his wife. I don't remember her name. But we I had so much fun, like, and I had spoken to him earlier upstairs. But I had, we had so much fun laughing, and I don't even think we were very much talking about Batman. We were just joking around about, about That's other crazy. stuff, and 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 uh, yeah, just kind of put a pit on that. He was a really cool guy when I met him, and you know him a lot better.
2: Yeah, no well no absolutely and just kindred, kindred spirits yeah. right like it's it's just after a certain point and that's not to say that there aren't the, the share of people who we maybe aren't all compatible with but over time the people who scott would put it are cool and groovy do <laughs> kind of there is a gravitational pull yeah. there and all of a sudden somebody somebody said something really nice to me after that, that, that a few days afterwards uh one of uh one of our a sort of our newer friends who hadn't been involved in that world for as long, not somebody from uh, back in the day as it were, but had come out from New York for the show and, and, and whatever else. He just said to me that he was resoundingly struck by the fact that even though he had not met the bulk of the people sat around that table of 30, like we were yeah. talking about where you and I and, and everybody else we were with that night were sitting, he just said, he just, he just felt so unbelievably kind of just at home, around a bunch of like-minded people who were all just having just having the best time just it, it, it I, I don't know if I'm I'm making this sound overly saccharine or whatever but there is there is just a sincerity or an authenticity to the just the joy and the yeah. the, the the simple pleasure that that show brings people and and I know the word authentic gets kind of overused or misused in this age of sort of social content and whatever else. But like, no, honestly, like it, that, that to me is for every angry Reddit thread out there in the world, there are positive things that can come out of an online fandom. And and that, that evening amongst others and other weekends over time have just been the living embodiment of that for me, um, and um, and like I said, I'm I'm very I'm very grateful for all of that, and I sort of I will I will never I would never trade any of that for for anything at this point. Um, collectibles are nice, um, <laughs> but they get dusty. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll I'll keep the
0: I'll keep the memory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you're like the embodiment of putting that energy out there uh, and getting getting what you put out into the universe. I mean, a big Batman fan. And, and Adam West fan, and then life—whether you realize that it, it's intentional or not—life mm-hmm. leads you down this through this thread that's that's pinballing you back up yeah, into I, <laughs>
2: right. Uh, I, I love I love the pinball analogy. I really,
0: really do. No, and yeah, and, I, and, and I, then, yeah I appreciate. Like that. you said, all that energy—like everybody's got energy like you—all in one room and getting close. Yeah. I mean, they can't help but but be happy and feel good, and everybody's feed. Yeah. everybody's feeding off of everybody else's energy, right?
2: well that's yeah. it no that that that's totally it and and that's yeah no i th- I think you've hit that you've hit the nail on the head like that enthusiasm and that genuine fun yeah. that I saw people having from a distance um I was yeah, I was eventually fortunate enough to be a part of that and to get to enjoy that and and to try and do my best to bring other people into that too, which I still kind of continue to 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 do so um and that that to me is. That is what always struck me about the message board and the way that Scott ran it once, once he took over in 2006 was just that it became about sharing and it was everybody was better off for that right the mentality of not just guarding secrets like people would in a proprietary kind of way because they were trying to sell product or whatever else there was again there was a lot of misinformation and, and half truths and whatever else and and once the kind of the precedent was set for you can be cool and you can let other people enjoying what you're
1: sharing
2: or getting to do or getting to experience in on that is ultimately way more rewarding than sort of being the guy like you joked about before the golem right, who has his right, precious right. and there's nothing to be achieved from that. Like, and and if I've not made it abundantly clear at this point, all of this stuff to me is so much better shared with other people who get it. There is nothing just like when you and I were chatting a minute ago about the the the, the Batcave and seeing that for the first time, like knowing that you know what yeah feels yeah like, yeah. That, not only does it make me feel not like the crazy person I clearly am, <laughs> but like it's it is just that's that's a that's a bond, right? That like you can't you can't um yeah, you can't put a right, price on right. that. And that's and that's you stuff that I love. That. Everybody everybody wants to be affirmed in, in what they do, right? And it's every now and again when you do actually achieve that, it's yeah, it, it's a very, very wonderful
0: wonderful thing all round. Yeah, yeah, man. Well said, again. Well said. Well, dear listeners, that brings us to the end of another exciting episode of the Powcast. And what a great journey Ben has been on, huh? I can't thank him enough for coming on and sharing those stories. It was a challenge to edit this conversation down. We talked about so much more, and I promise that sometime in the future, I'm going to bring you the rest of that conversation in a future episode. Until, ben, until Big Ben Bentley joins us again, you can follow him on Twitter, at BenBentleyPhoto. Or check out the Batman 66 message board. Tell them Jimmy sent you. I'll have a link in the show description for both of those. You can follow me and say hi on the socials at RetroCoolNerd. Why not give my YouTube channel a look at Nerd a shake? I bet there's something in there you will like. Stop by RetroCoolNerd.com on your daily interweb travels and feel free to drop me an email. That address is Jimmy at RetroCoolNerd.com. This episode's music samples are from The Flying Horse Big Band and the Batman soundtrack by Nelson Riddle and Neil Hefty. Guest voices include Grayson Leszczynski and Jimmy Leszczynski. Episode 5 of the Powcast has been written, recorded, and produced by me, Jimmy the Gent, in Wayne Study Studios for Saturday Morning Serial Productions. Tune in next time. Same Pow Channel. Same Powcast. Are you ready to get out of here, Ben?
2: I was are we going home in the same Batmobile or I mean you can drop me off, that's cool. I mean it's gonna be a long way for you to turn around but that's no, that's fine. Um so to the Batmobile <laughs>